Welcome to the 24th episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, United Paul, and today's guest is Adam Sinkis, the CEO of Elevator, a website and SEO company in South Florida. Adam has a background in training and operations. He started in a call center but quickly discovered a passion for training and leadership. He realized that focusing on people was necessary for organizations to find success. Learn how Adam used his people-first approach to work his way up and get to where he is today. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have a guest, Adam Sinkus. And can you introduce yourself? Yeah, great to be here, man. I really appreciate it. My name's Adam Sinkus. I am a longtime, uh, currently, I work, run uh, Elevator Agency and My Roofing SEO. We are a digital marketing company. We work with all kinds of different uh, genres of people. My Roofing SEO is really focused on the niche of the roofing and restoration industry. We're Elevator. We work with companies in all different ranges. I run the operations of our company. So I make sure, you know, all of our stuff is getting done on time and that we're remaining profitable as we do it. Okay. I mean, that's a very interesting niche because I know SEO is a big industry and you focus on that niche. So you obviously did a lot of things to get to where you are today. So let's go back to high school. What'd you want to be in high school and what were your future plans at that time? High school for me was like, I wanted to be an architect or an engineer, something along those lines. But, you know, as I started to like, look down, like what the college path was, what like the long-term path was for that, I realized that it was more, more than I wanted to do at the time. That's where I started. But man, it's been a journey since then to get to where I'm at. And and one that, that has taken a lot of unexpected twists and turns over the years to, to really figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. What came first after high school? So you realized that college wasn't the route for you. What'd you do right after? Uh, well, I made a lot of mistakes and spent a lot of money in college and you know, didn't really do anything with it or take it anywhere. I did enough to stay under the radar, but uh, not enough to actually really pass enough credits. And, you know, I made my mistakes when I was young because of that. And you know, I jumped into working in restaurants and retail I was a trainer. I was worked in the kitchen, key manager. You know, it kind of worked the gambit of all kinds of stuff you could do in a restaurant to being a key holding manager for a restaurant. And, you know, that was, that was fun. Like I love the hustle and bustle of the restaurant industry. It's the, there's something about the organized chaos of it that, uh, that's really interesting to me. Uh, and, and obviously the speed of which it moves is, absolutely fantastic but nights and weekends i like my nights and weekends so then moved into the hospitals and worked as a telemetry heart monitor technician for a couple of years totally different change of pace right spending 12 hours a day sitting staring at heart monitors for patients all across the hospital was was totally different world than the restaurant industry but uh you know it was a good introduction to the like the professional world that was kind of the first step out of the out of the restaurant and retail industry and into like more of a professional setting as opposed so but uh you know that was a challenging time because i worked a flex schedule so i could work any any 12 hours in a 24 hour period 
some days I work 11 to, you know, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. And then like two days later, I'd be working like 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, I, can, I can see. I can see that. So what were some big takeaways in terms of working in the restaurant industry? What were some skills you learned that really helped you later in your career? Biggest thing is connecting with people. Obviously, working as a server, right? You spend a lot of time hustling to make tips. And, and the better you connect with your, your tables in a short period of time, the more opportunity you have for tips. So, you know, obviously, I figured that out very early on in working in restaurants. I spent a lot of time in self-discovery trying to figure out how do I connect with people quicker and make a bigger impact. That was really... Probably my biggest takeaway from working in, in restaurants and retail, because in retail, you know, at the end of the day, like I worked for Best Buy, which they are no commission sales. So, you know, I didn't get like a bonus for selling $5,000 computer, but you better believe it. If I didn't sell $5,000 computer, my boss is having a conversation with me at the end of the day, even though it wasn't commission sales, you know, there's still that pressure to, to get the job done and, and people buy from people that they trust. That was probably the biggest takeaway, the biggest reality I had in that period of time was like, I need to figure out how to really effectively connect with people so I can make the money. How'd you learn to get better at connecting with people? Because I assume that you didn't just start and you were amazing at connecting with people. Like what caused you to learn? Like, did you watch other servers or it was just like you did stuff outside? What would you say really helped you just become better at that? So biggest thing is uh, I spent a lot of time doing research, World Wide Web, man, just reading about how to build relationships, how to build connections with people, looking at things like how you present your body language, right? That's a huge thing when you're face to face with somebody thinking about things like how you look when you put your hands in your pockets. It's a very nonchalant gesture, but it shows that you're relaxed and, and you may not have a total sense of urgency. You know, whereas crossing your arms tends to show a closed mindset or aggression. Figuring out those little nuances in your body language, how to stand when you're talking to somebody, where your feet are at. Most of us tend to stand with a bias of one side of our body closer to a person or another. But once you understand that, you can start to control that, right? So thinking about it from a sales perspective, right? Who's If I turn my body towards the person that's making the decision and start to move closer into their personal space, I've started to gain their attention in the conversation. Wow. No, that's, I mean, that's very important that there's so many transferable skills and they really elevate you in your, right? There's things you can take carrying forward. So you worked as the, right? You worked in the hospital. Did you need a certification to work for that type of job? Uh, so I had a basic EMT certification, which is like, it, that was the state of Ohio. And at that time it was like 172 hour course. And then uh, like 30 hours of ride along time. I did that. And then, you know, obviously you have to have like CPR and I did some continuing education and took the advanced life support certification as well, just for some personal growth stuff. But, you know, really for that, the biggest thing, there is actually a telemetry technician certification out there. I forget what it's called. It's been, it's been a minute since I was in that world that a lot of hospitals do look for, but you're talking about a certification class as opposed to like a full like college curriculum. It's not a degree program by any means. 
but it's a good opportunity. There's a lot of opportunities in it. I know a ton of people that work in that as well as being an EMT. So now you went to the restaurant to the hospital. What was the big reason that you left the restaurant? Just you said that to just get a more, I guess, professional job. Uh, nights and weekends was why I went to the hospital. Because <laughs> you wanted you wanted those back. And I then wanted why, those back. <laughs> why'd you leave the hospital? I remember you said that it was kind of the crazy schedule that sometimes you'd so was and what were some other reasons you left and what were some big takeaways from that job and what came next? I actually left the hospital because I had a family member that was in need and trying to get back from I, I'm for originally from Michigan. Uh, but I was living in Ohio at the time and we had some family stuff going on and my family needed me. So had an opportunity to move back to Michigan and, and be closer to family. And that was my exit out of that world. And there just wasn't where I was at. And the certifications I had wasn't quite what the hospitals around here were looking for. Little, or I should say around Michigan were looking for. They were a little bit bigger hospitals carrying, you know, more significant trauma certifications. Obviously, the pool, job pool was a little bit deeper. They were looking for people that specifically had that telemetry technician certification. That was my challenge there. But, uh, but you know, it's a, it, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I found a job in the call center industry, in the BPO industry. BPO stands for what? Business process outsourcing? Yep. Pretty much anytime you call a call center, you're talking to a BPO company. I'd say probably 90% of the time. I got into the call center. I was working in a call center for Apple and doing technical support. When was this? What year? Like around what year? Uh, 2011, maybe. Okay. Okay. Still Apple. This is still the modern version of Apple. Modern Apple. Yeah. It was my first major product launch there that I went through was the iPhone 4. Wow. Uh, Wow. I can't believe (laughs) 4, right? It's like... Basically a glorified iPod Touch at that point. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. I was working on the call center and we were just launching that call center. So it was like I was like the third wave of people to come in there. Three months after being on the phones, I had an opportunity to move into training and actually be a trainer for the site and just absolutely fell in love with the training environment. That's why I say it's a blessing in disguise because that really has set a pace of where I've gone with a lot of my career from there in just learning opportunities and different things. So training was a new space for me at the time. I'd done a little bit of training through some volunteer opportunities, but it was so intriguing to take the opportunity to step back and go, what do I know? And how can I get you to know the same things and really set people up for success? And that that has really been a theme in my life probably since about then is, you know, what can I do to help other people be successful? Very pivotal moment. What makes a good trainer? I like your point about that you have to help people understand what you know. So what makes a good trainer? And what are some misconceptions people have about training? Biggest misconception that people have about training is that anybody can stand up in front of a room full of people and be engaging and teach them something. Oh, man, I've been in in training sessions where the person was not engaging. And especially when it's a dry topic, it's tough. Yep. So uh, biggest thing I think is number one is you have to know how to command a room. You have to be able to take everybody's attention and draw it to you or to the to whatever is important at that moment. It really comes down to like 
just that natural presence and understanding again, the, like the body language, the tone of voice, like all those little things and how they play into actually commanding the whole situation. If you think about, you know, the most dynamic training sessions you've ever been to, like you're on the edge of your seat, you can't even take your eyes off that person to barely look at the PowerPoint, right? You know, and that in my mind is the biggest misconception is that every, you know, everybody's like, Oh, I can, I'm an expert in this. I can go train it. No, no, you can't. You're an expert in it. That's cool. Let me show you how to really engage a room. The other thing I think that's really important that people forget about in training is training isn't just standing up in front of a room talking to people. It's guiding, mentoring, it's building connections with people, and it's also figuring out how to creatively and innovatively connect the information to something that somebody can understand. So like adult learners, we don't take in information like kids do in school, right? We have everything we take in. The first thing we do in our mind is we relate it to something else that we're familiar with. That's how we remember things. If you just tell people things, they have a hard time remembering it. If you can build a picture or a story that drives them down a familiar path, then all of a sudden they can build this connection with the content. What really inspired you about training? What drew you to training? It's not something that everybody wants to do. What really got you? Uh, so initially, no joke. I hate talking on the phones. Yes, I worked in a call center. So no joke. I was like, cool. I know stuff. I'm good at what I do. So this will get me off the phone. It's like that was legitimately my initial mindset when I applied for the job. And then about a month in, like it really came down to like, I realized that I really wanted to give back to people. I really wanted to see people succeed in what they're doing. The best trainers in the world are all about the people that are in front of them learning and not about themselves. That was really what it's about. It's about, to me, it was about putting my ego aside and realizing that I have the opportunity to provide an opportunity for 20, 30, 100 other people that otherwise without me wouldn't have that same opportunity. That's really deep. What were some mistakes you made while training? Oh, man, I made lots of mistakes while training. What'd you learn from the mistakes? It's interesting, right? Because like I learned the biggest thing is that there are two ways to teach everything. And it, and it's not what you're thinking. It's not the right way and the wrong way. It's there's the test way and the reality way. And the best trainers figure out how to bridge that gap. I had uh, actually when I went to school for my basic EMT, the first thing the instructor said to us in that in on the very first day, I'll never forget this. He goes, all right, I'm going to teach you how to pass the test. When you get out to the field and do your field hours, then you will learn how it really goes. That's something that's always stuck with me, is, especially in the training space, is how do I bridge that gap in training where I can make them successful enough to pass the knowledge portion of it that they need to have coming out? but really set them up to be dynamically engaged, to be successful once they pass that threshold, right? Once they get out to, to actually taking calls, to actually doing the job. I think it's a different mentality than a lot of trainers take. A lot of trainers will teach you how to be successful in the class, but I always go and think about how are you going to use this? And then I design activities around how are you going to use this? 
and that takes it to that next level. And it says, you know what? Here's the information and here's how to use the information. Here's how to implement and apply it. Because at the end of the day, you can have the encyclopedia is a great example, right? You know, you can have the full set of Britannica encyclopedias on your bookshelf. But if you don't know how to go actually look things up and take the information out of it and apply it to your situation, they just look good on your bookshelf. And that's about it. What are some tips? You said that you do engaging activities as a trainer. What are some engaging? Can you give some examples? One of the things uh, most call centers have is they have some sort of really robust knowledge base, a, a series of articles, you know, hundreds and hundreds of articles that basically are how to walk through different situations, whether it be a troubleshooting situation, steps in a process, whatever, right? One of the things I really focus on in training is that you don't have to memorize everything. You just have to be an expert in going to find the information. I'll do activities like we'll start the day with here's a scenario. Go find me the article that relates to this scenario and then explain to me in other terms besides what the article says, how you would walk the customers through that. What we've done now is now we've taken about 15 minutes. I usually take about 10 or 15 minutes to do an activity like that. They've actually taken and applied a research methodology to finding the answer. So not only are they finding the right answer, so they're actually going to read. They're going to then write that answer or say that answer in different language than what's in the actual article. So now they have to think about it in a different perspective and put it into alternative words, which helps them remember it. And then they're going to get immediate feedback on how they can approach it in a different way. How did your training journey go? So, right, you started the call center training, and I assume you sort of moved up. So what was that progression? I started, like I said, as a call center agent. They had an opening for a training position that I applied for, and I took that. I did that for about three or four months, and then I had an opportunity for a little bit more money on another contract to actually go be a auditor. So actually auditing, and and it still had a training element because as I would audit paperwork, if there was errors or issues, I would have to go train that back to the person that processed it, right? From there, I moved into a quality role, which helped expand on that training piece even more, right? It was just, it's just a different dynamic of it. It was, I actually helped set up a quality program for uh, five of our automotive clients at the time. Everything from what are the call criteria that we should be scoring on? How should they be scored on? building that whole process in place, as well as the training that went with implementing a process like that to to provide the agents that were on those contracts the opportunity to be successful, right? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to make everybody successful with a program like that. From there, I moved back into training, this time on a little bit different level. I went from being a trainer to a training manager. And I actually ran the entire training program for a 300 seat call center. The Apple call center is, is what it was. And, uh, you know, so I had six trainers under me. And at any given time, I had between 80 and 100 people in a classroom. If you don't mind, what are the typical salaries for these type of, you don't have to share yours, but what are the typical salaries for these types of positions? So call center, then the next level up as a level one trainer and then, you know, a higher level trainer. 
call center agents, depending on the area of the world you're in, they, they usually start around $10 an hour up to, I think the last rates I saw in New York City was averaging around 16 or $17 an hour. Obviously, geographically, that changes quite a bit. You know, down here in Florida, they tend to be a little bit lower than they were up in the Detroit area. So trainers usually get a couple dollar bump on that. Most of the trainers and call centers are still on an hourly scale. It allows the call center to kind of dual use them. They get a bump to be a trainer, but but then they can also push them back to the phones and things like that. That's usually, I would say, anywhere from 13 to to maybe $20 an hour. If you're a full-time salary trainer, 35 to 50 is kind of the range, depending on your experience. And then uh, training managers is, is usually starting around 50 to about 65. And then when you grow from there, getting into like regional where you're you're managing multiple training sites, you're starting to get closer to that director level role. Okay. Okay. You did the 300 person, right? Were you training 300 people? What came after that? Actually, I had an opportunity to go work for a small consulting firm. Taking my experience from being a trainer and working in the BPO industry, uh, I was able to shift into this consulting role. And that was a lot of fun. Like I, I fell in love with, actually fell in love with consulting, kind of my second passion at that point. And it was really intriguing to be, you know, three, four weeks on a project. You like hammer through this project. You learn a company figure out what they're doing wrong. You give them the the steps to fix it. You might implement some stuff and help them start down the path. And then it's, you know, the next company, new problem. You know, so very fast paced, but uh, really, you know, every day was like, you know, just this huge challenge of figuring out what's going on next. What's the, what's the next piece of the puzzle that I'm trying to figure out for this company. And so it was really, really intriguing. I worked with Companies in healthcare, insurance, technology, and the BPO industry. And absolutely, like I said, I fell in love with the process. The pace sometimes was a bit daunting, and which is actually ultimately one of the reasons uh, I kind of moved away from that space. Because being on the road, you know, four or five days a week, every week, gets tiring. No, of course. So you did the consulting and, you know, it was a good experience. You got a lot of exposure. What came after that? And what would you say, what made you a good consultant? My ability really to problem solve on the fly, like to really pick up those little nuances and come up with like the innovative solution to that wasn't necessarily the in front of us apparent solution. That was really my big thing. I was able to really quickly synthesize what was going on and and start building towards this is how we fix this problem. You've worked with other consultants. What makes a bad consultant? I think the biggest challenges for consultants is pace. Honestly, you know, consulting space is down and dirty and fast moving all the time. It's got to be because you're talking about money that that people are spending. And in the case of large companies, you're talking about lots of dollars, right? So anything you can do to reduce time on a project is important. That's, I think, the biggest challenges with in the consulting space. I think other things that, that come to light is if you, if you are not quick on your feet to come up with solutions or to see what the root cause is. Those are other challenges that will show themselves. But a lot of times that's also related to pace, too. Okay. So what came after consulting? 
Then I worked for a publication company that did home improvement advertising magazine. Did process improvement for them. Wasn't quite the right fit. Same kind of things. It was like basically like an internal consultant role. But where they were at and, and where I felt the, the biggest value adds were for the company, we just decided that it, it wasn't the best fit. And so then from there, I moved back into the, the BPO space and worked in, for a call center that did home insurance, car insurance, uh, claim processing as a training manager for them. That was a bigger call center. They were just really getting back to actually having a full like trainer and training program. Before me coming in, it was operations running training, which is a gift and a curse. So what's the gift? What's the curse? So the gift is with operations is you got a lot of people with a lot of knowledge that because they're in it every day, right? So they're really good with the knowledge. The curse is operations is always finding ways to be operationally leaner. And so they will oftentimes take shortcuts from the training process that you know makes it successful to get things done quicker. Now, what were the next steps? Because that was just a start, right? I assume to what you are right now. Yeah. So in February, I was unfortunately let go due to some restructuring from that company. And it kind of has given me a, a swift kick to realize that all the side hustling that I was doing while I was doing all of that really is what I really want to do. I joke because 2019 was the year that I decided what I want to do when I grow up. And how old were you in 2019? I was 36 years old. It takes time, right? You got to go through the experience to really figure out yourself. So what were the side hustles? Side hustles. I was doing some consulting on the side, doing coaching specifically with people that feel that they are stuck where they're at. I work with clients that are struggling with how do I move to that next step? How do I set goals for myself? How do I build something that is going to allow me to move into that next role? That has been a really rewarding journey. I kind of happened upon that a little bit by accident, just in having conversations with people and providing my experiences and my knowledge in that space. And somebody goes, hey, you're really good at this. You should talk to some people and gave me a couple names and uh, of people that I should talk to about it. And soon enough, I had a small client list with it. And so, you know, so that was one of my side hustles. And then November of last year, I partnered up with my current business partner and we run two digital marketing firms. So it's really, it's one digital marketing firm, two companies, because we are hustling hard. That has really become full circle, my, my primary focus now is really building that company. So we're, we have some aggressive plans this year to, I think this year we're going to probably going to do two and a half times our revenue from last year. We're going aggressive. Nice, nice, nice. How'd you learn the digital marketing stuff? I came into the company more for the operations side of it. My responsibilities in the company is to manage the projects, make sure the projects are happening on time, that we're meeting deliverables, that we're, I get all the work distributed out to the team. And then also I maintain our financials as well. So uh, I keep track of all of our errant spending because my business partner and I, we are techies and we like shiny stuff. Now, what's different from managing the business operations of a business you're personally involved in and have stake in versus 
the operations of a larger business where you are part of the operations, but it's it's just a different dynamic and environment. Oh yeah, it's a it's a totally different dynamic. I would say the biggest thing is personal skin in the game, right? So I directly control my outcome. There's nobody else that controls my outcome but me. So if I drop the ball on something, I drop the ball on something because I failed at it and that is directly going to impact my bottom line. And that upsets me a lot more than if I work for a major corporation and I make an oopsie, I might get a talking to from my boss like, Hey, don't do that again. But at the end of the day, we just keep moving on it. You know, so it's, uh, there's a little more at stake. So, you know, I think passion is the big driver there, right? I'm a lot more passionate about the mistakes. I'm okay with making a mistake. I'm not perfect. And I know that. But I have to be more honest with myself in the mistakes that I make and so I can recover and react to them faster than if I was in that corporate environment. And I think at the end of the day, it's all about the decisions I make directly impact me. I tend to be a lot smarter about those decisions. I I tend to be less rash about making a decision like that because I know that if I made the wrong decision, I have to directly reap the repercussions of that. From your whole career, what's something that's really helpful to you now that you wouldn't have expected to be helpful? Oh, uh, gosh, there's so many things. Okay, start. <laughs> I mean, start. We got, we got time. Start. So the first time I was ever in a leadership role in front of a team, I'd taken leadership development classes that my company had offered me at the time, you know, and been through like some of like the Disney style of leadership, the Franklin Covey leadership. Like I've been through a bunch of these programs, right? And, and there, there was great information in them, you know, and I would never discourage anybody from taking any of those because I think you can learn a lot from them. But the reality set in the first time I had a team meeting and you're standing there in front of a bunch of angry people because you just told them that you have to up their daily KPI by 10 claims a day. And they're all like, pissed like how can we do 10 more claims a day we're already working at our capacity (laughs) it's like having going through those conversations in the moment i learned so much more about leadership from those than i ever did in the leadership classes i learned the skills to handle it and like how to like start the conversation but when you get asked the question well why don't you care that we don't think we can do this there's no leadership class that that teaches you that. You know, I really think you know having opportunities to dive into uncomfortable situations it has been my greatest opportunity to learn through my career. That's a great example of it. First time I ever had to do departmental budgeting, that was an interesting exercise. I had some guidance, but it's like here's your money for the year and here's your wish list. And obviously these two things don't add up. You got to figure out what's important and and still make sure you have your budget to, to pay for things for the rest of the year. You know, and so going through like exercises like that, I got used to being comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And that has really helped me go far. What were some things that you didn't know because you were side hustle and then you went to full business. What were some things that you were like, wow, I'm lacking and you sort of learned along the way? Man, I'm learning digital marketing like marketing like a mofo right now. 
I coming into the digital marketing space, like I knew what a good web page was and I knew what WordPress was and I knew what Wix was. But to tell you the difference between the two and, and why one's better than the other or why you should use this type of a, a hero image on a page versus another type, what the difference between a, a service page and a blog page is like all that shit. Like I, I had no idea, man. I learn new stuff about marketing every day. I spend a ton of time just reading about it, reading about what the leaders are doing. People like Neil Patel, reading articles from like Ogilvy and Zimmerman and, you know, some of the big firms about like the new trends that are coming out. Adweek is like, that's my daily reading list is, is Adweek. Just involving myself and just totally consuming myself with what's going on in the world to to learn the different pieces of it but that was you know coming into it like the whole point i was brought into the company was to run the operation side of it because i had a project management background because i had operations management because i'd been in that world i knew how to build those structures and put those structures in place that was kind of the big thing about coming into the digital marketing company was come help me make sure that we get all our stuff done every day did not having a college degree sort of like, how'd you get around that? Were you ever asked, hey, this position requires a college degree? Or how'd you sort of get around that? Or if you had to? Um, so I have had to get around that. And, uh, you know, basically, I rely on the confidence of the knowledge that I know. Ultimately, I think what companies are looking for in a college degree, and I've talked to recruiters about this, and, and this seems to be a general sentiment that, I, that I've heard is, Companies use college degrees to define a baseline of knowledge, right? They say that if you have a college degree, you should know X, Y, and Z. If I can prove to you that I know X, Y, and Z, regardless of having a college degree or not, the college degree at that point is a null and void. It, it doesn't matter. That's the biggest thing is soak up everything that you can to be the smartest person you can in the industry that you're working in or that you want to work in. And don't be afraid to hustle from the bottom. I came up in the call center world from the bottom, right? You know, I started as an agent on the phones, hustling phone calls, you know, 100 calls a day, right? It, which was absolutely awful, by the way. But everybody should do it. <laughs> but I started at the bottom and I've worked my way up to where I'm at now. For me, the biggest thing was I've consciously made the decision to work for myself because I see a bigger opportunity there. But, you know, regardless, I think there's good opportunity as long as you're showing that you are knowledgeable in what you're trying to do. Put in the work to get there. And don't be afraid to take a lower position to prove your worth. Because I think, I think a lot of times we cut our nose off you know, to spite our face because we're like, well, I know all this stuff, so I could go be the director of marketing. Well, that's great, dandy, but they want somebody with experience and a degree for the director of marketing position. But hey, let me come in and work on the marketing team for a couple of years and then become the manager of the marketing team. And then, you know, so now that internal path within the company, it might take you a couple extra years to get there. But you've proved what you've done is you've proven your work. And that is really what helped me move through the positions that I did. You know, being humble about where you're at, improving my worth each step of the way. This is why you want me here. If you were to start over to end up where you are, what would you have done differently 
or how would you do things to get there faster? Basically, what advice would you have? So someone's young, they're 18 or they want to get to where you are. They want to pick up the skills that you did. What would you recommend? Number one is don't be afraid to go in headfirst and learn everything that you can. Number two, find a mentor. Find somebody that is in a space that you want to be in and follow them, build a relationship with them, gain knowledge from them. Everything that you can do to become an integral part of what they do. Every time I look, looking back, every time I moved up in a position, it's because I took on somebody in that next role as a mentor and was able to leverage their skills and abilities to teach myself what they were doing so that I could prepare myself. And then I think the last thing is really just about being tenacious, right? Don't accept a no. I think so many times we were told no, and we just walk away from it, especially in job hunting, right? You get the dreaded email that says, sorry, but we have decided to select another candidate that's better suited for the role. Don't be afraid to like really push back on those and ask why, right? You're not always going to get an answer, but the times that you do get an answer, you're going to learn so much from that in that email so that you can go at it the next time and be that much more successful. So just don't accept no as, as a straight up no. Find out why. Find, a, find out what you could have done differently to be more successful in that situation or going after that job or, you know, moving into that next opportunity. Okay. No, thank you so much for your time. I think you gave a lot of very actionable tips and insight. How would someone get in contact with you or follow you? Best thing is LinkedIn. I am on there probably, uh, at least according to my wife, too much. <laughs> that is by far the best way to find me. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Just search Adam Sinkus. I show up. Uh, Twitter at Adam Sinkus, although I'm not super active on Twitter. But LinkedIn is by far the best way to find me. All my contact information is on there. I'm more than happy to connect and build a relationship and talk to people and help out where I can. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I'm glad you gave the listeners a lot of great advice. And I know they'll gain a lot of value for this episode. Looking forward to talking to you again. I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash No Degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janayat Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name, I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. Nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if 
like you didn't know, like you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in a knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, yeah